The reading is taken from John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31, and can be found on page 1089 of your church Bibles. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe you'd like to have your scripture open that you may follow it through. There are some deep and interesting things to say. Father, we pray that you would open our minds to understand what you are saying to us in this scripture and that you would open our hearts to receive the word that we may learn and live new things to the praise of your glory. For Jesus' sake, amen. So here we are in verse 19, and the risen Lord comes among and stands amongst the disciples and says, yeah, you're not confident about that, are you? He said, and then again in verse 21, he said, and then again in verse 26, he came and stood among them and said, what's the point? Peace be with you. Three times he declares this peace. And when he declares this peace, it is not some wish, some hope for the future, some desire in him uh, that says, well, let's just all get on for now and be nice to each other. He's telling them the actual fact 
declaring an objective reality. Peace be with you is how things really are. Peace be with you is the state that they are living in. No need to fear not having it and no need uh, to strive to get it. Peace has been won for us by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you were all African, you'd be saying, Hallelujah, gosh. (laughs) If you were all African, you'd be saying, Oh, that sounds better. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So when he stands in the midst of them, he tells them, the true reality of peace. And of course, it's a peace that changes everything. This is new creation life in the gospel. It it starts in this little room in which they are locked. And John tells us in verse 19, the evening of the first day of the week, day one, Day one of the new changed life. And that, by the way, is why traditionally we worship together on Sundays. There are at least five resurrection appearances on that first day. And uh, as we read it, the disciples were all together except for Thomas. But one week later, on the first day of the week, they're all together again. And the Lord appeared to them again, speaking directly to Thomas about believing. So it appears that from the very beginning, from the first day, the believers met together on the first day of the week, not on the Sabbath. The Sabbath day was over when Jesus rose from the dead. The change from Sabbath worship to first day worship sprang from the faith and the witness of the first believers. The first day worship is about entering into the new creation. It's part of the change that the resurrection brings. Do you get it? It is not the Sabbath. Nowhere in the New Testament is the Sabbath command ever applied to the church. All the other nine commandments are restated to the church, but the Sabbath day command is not, because we rest in the eternal peace of the risen Christ that he declared on that first day. And when he comes and declares that peace, peace be with you, it changes, first of all, their inward disposition. Verse 19 tells us that they were all together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. They were afraid, locked in their fears, not knowing what the future held. But notice that it's not the news of Jesus' resurrection that brings them peace. They've heard the news from the women earlier in the day. They had even been to the tomb and they'd seen it empty. They had seen the grave clothes wrapped up and laid aside. 
They had enough information about the resurrection, but they were still afraid. And they had good reason to be. They lived in a world where the people in power had, uh, uh, could kill people with impunity. The Jewish leaders showed that by their trumped-up charges against Jesus. And they were scared they might be next. Being out of step with the authorities was a life-threatening circumstance. So it's not the information or the news about Jesus' resurrection that brings peace. It's Jesus himself. First of all, he came to them. Jesus stood among them and said, Peace be with you. It's his presence that confers peace upon them that changes everything. And secondly, he reassures them. He shows them his side and his hands. Tangible evidence that it's not only that it's him, but that the price has been paid. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jess. The price has been paid. We have peace because he paid for it. So these disciples' inner disposition is changed by the peace of Christ. They still face the dangers of the world that they had locked the doors against. And indeed, many of them went to their deaths at the hands of the persecutors, stoned, beheaded, uh, speared, crucified, sent to the gladiators, fed to the lions. The world hadn't changed, but they had. Their inward disposition was changed from fear to courage. And the world still hasn't changed. Last week, 259 people were killed, whilst many of them, at least, were at their Easter Sunday worship. The month before that, a man entered two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand, and killed 50 Muslim worshippers. And just yesterday a man goes into the synagogues in America and shoots the place up. It's what the world does. The world wants us to be afraid. That's the purpose of it all. And there's no more chilling sight, is there, than seeing that, uh, that man with the explosives in a huge backpack on his back, walking through the courtyard and in through the open sides of that church, standing amongst the worshippers before he lets the thing off and blows them up. What can prevent us from being afraid in a world where most of the persecution in the world is against Christian believers? Only the peace that the risen Jesus brings. To know that death is not the end. Death has no victory. There's an eternal life that's guaranteed in Christ Jesus. Verse 20 says, They were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Their inward disposition changed from fear to joy. And with that inner joy, they faced the world in peace. And for us here in our day, we're probably not scared of being killed 
for our faith while we're, being, while we're at worship, though for many in the world, as we know, it is the case. But for us, for us, it's the trepidation of a believing wife who is arrogantly outlogicked by her unbelieving husband. It's the anxiety experienced by a young person pressured to, exp- uh, to abandon the Christian values of sex for marriage. It's the cautiousness with which we proclaim Jesus is Lord or Christ alone in a world of plurality and and our fear of causing offence or maybe of losing our job. Our fear keeps us locked in the room afraid to speak of what we feel and believe about Jesus. But we are people who've had our inward disposition changed from fear to joy because the risen Jesus has come and stood amongst us and stands amongst us and says, peace be with you. Keep it going. Because with that peace, we face the world. So having our inward disposition changed, Jesus says, peace be with you a second time. And this time it changes the outward focus. No longer are they retreating from the hostile world. Now they're sent into the world. Verse 21, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, I am sending you. The disciples and all the believers who come after them, we are the sent ones. Sent with an awesome task to proclaim to the world the good news of sins forgiven and to warn the world of the sins that are not forgiven. Verse 23, if you, do not, if you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Not that the disciples could forgive sins, but they, they could give the assurance of sins forgiven and speak of the life of fellowship that follows. But for someone who doesn't repent, of course, who doesn't change from their sins... They can't receive forgiveness. And scripture warns us of the dangers of dying still in our sins. And there's a move in our culture today of saying that we should get rid of the notion of sin altogether so that there's no need for forgiveness. And so we've lived through the era of greed is good in our financial houses and we are paying for it. We live in the love-sex era of the Durex advert, have you seen it? Where those two words are given the same meaning. We live in the equality and diversity policy of political society, which has rewritten our understanding of human relationships and behaviour. And we ourselves are not up to the task We're confused by the deep and radical changes in the philosophical understandings of our world. For many of us, the world doesn't quite make sense anymore. It has changed. 
The, the old arguments don't seem to wash. Who of us can say the right thing and make the right judgment about all this to forgive sins or not to forgive sins? But Jesus said, peace be with you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You see, the point of receiving the Holy Spirit is not to give the disciples more shaky, quaky moments and experiences. They probably would get those. But the point of receiving the Holy Spirit is to enable the disciples to do in the world what Jesus was doing in the world. Revealing what the Father is like. To show what his kingdom is like. And to make it possible for other people to enter into that kingdom. And we do it by living intentionally. Intentional Christian lives. We do it by living inspirationally, inspired by the Holy Spirit and inspiring to others. And we do it by living invitationally. Well done, David, you're with me. Invitationally. Inviting people to come around and see us and see what God is doing amongst his people. See, it's not our job to tell what the, pe the people, what their sins are. But we are the people who show them what a life set free from sin looks like. I'll say that bit again. It's not our job to tell the people what their sins are. We're the people who show them what a life set free from sin is like. <laughs> we are the people who show them what a community looks like when it lives in an attitude of forgiveness. And we offer people the opportunity to join that community if they want to. And next week, we have the chance to do just that at our community service. Do you remember it? It's happening. And your chairs are not going to be where you think they are. It, huh? <laughs> what was that? I didn't quite hear that one. <laughs> it's, an, it's an event for people who are not yet members of Megate Church. But we want you to be here. We need you to be here. Intentionally and inspirationally here so that they may encounter the story that we live by. So that they may see what good, wonderful things God is doing amongst us. So why not be invitational and ask someone? Here's those loads of little tickets down there that you can invite someone. Come to our community service. And what's the worst thing that can happen? They can say no. And you go, okay then. That's it. It's so easy to be invitational. We are the people who have had our outward focus changed from retreating to being sent, sent with this invitation. And so, 
if we have been given the Holy Spirit just for that purpose, to be able to deliver it, well, if we need a little bit more of God's Spirit, a little bit more faith, then there's going to be people here after the service to pray. Go and ask him with them and God will give it to you. So peace be with you. Speaks of peace that changes the inward disposition. Peace that changes the outward focus. Thirdly, it changes the upward orientation. Thomas not having been there on this first, first day of the week, is told by the other disciples, we have seen the Lord. And one gets the sense, actually, that they told him several times, we have seen the Lord, you know. Oh, Mary, Mary, the Lord. Hello, Thomas. Seen the Lord. Mary. Thomas. Mary. Thomas. Why else would Thomas be so confrontational in the words that he uses? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and my hand in his side, I will not believe. They sound confrontational words to me. Or maybe they were depressed words. I could do that as well. However he said them, there was not peace between Thomas and and the disciples. There was a division between them. But in a kind of repeat performance of the previous week, they're locked in the house again, and Jesus comes and says, Peace be with you. And he uses the exact same words that Thomas has said to, and invites him to inspect his crucifixion wounds. Now, back in verse 18, Mary's come back and she says to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And then the disciples, when they have seen the risen Jesus, say to Thomas, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas sees Jesus who comes to him and says, peace be with you. And he shows a changed orientation upwards. He looks at Jesus and he says, my Lord and my God. Not just my Lord, but my God. Thomas is the first person in Scripture to address Jesus as God. He sees his human origin and his divine status. And so it seems that Thomas, far from being the doubter that he's labelled with, is the one who believes all the more. From I will not believe to my Lord and my God. It seems that his doubts, his greater doubts have brought him to greater belief. It's precisely because Thomas was honest about his doubts that he believes all the more. He's an example to us of spiritual honesty that's changed by the peace of Christ. And so we invite others to come to church with us next week or 
any other time. But our task is not to persuade them to believe the things they don't believe. It's to enable them to voice their doubts, to talk of the things which they don't believe, so that amongst us they will find Jesus revealing himself to them, showing them what they need to see. Well, next week we have uh, the community service. The week after that at St. Mary's at the 6.30 service, we're starting uh, the Alpha course. It's an opportunity for us to invite someone to come and hear in a didactic way, in a way of discussion and being taught what the Christian faith is over coffee and lots of cake. And there's lots of uh, little invitation cards that you can use, again, on the table at the back to invite someone. I'm going. It's going to be good. Will you come with me? It's all we have to say. And they can say, no. Or they might say. In verse 18, the bit we didn't have read, Mary Magdalene says to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she has to wait a whole day before they see Jesus and come to faith. And then the disciples went to Thomas and they said, we've seen the Lord. And they have to wait a whole week before Thomas sees Jesus and comes to believe. But then Jesus says in verse 29, because you see me and believe, blessed are those who have not seen me and believe. And then wonderfully, John, this is the original ending of John's gospel. He says, Jesus did many many other things that aren't written in this book, but these are written so that you may know that you have eternal life. A day, a week. It's as if John is saying, well, here we are. We all believe, and Thomas believes now. What about you, dear reader? How long will we wait for you to believe in Jesus, the Lord and God? How long will we wait until the whole world believes until the peace of Christ changes the world's disposition inward disposition it changes the world's outward focus and changes the world's upward orientation Amen